right. All right, well, that's what 30 seconds feels like right there. Go ahead and find a seat. Go ahead and find a seat there. That, uh, that definitely feels different after doing three minutes for like eight weeks and then jump into 30 seconds. That's super quick. We did that on purpose just simply because I probably will end up going a little bit longer today because we have a lot to talk about. Um, but welcome. Glad you're here at Arbor. Uh, this is, like Bob said, it's great to see this many people at a 9 a.m. service. I barely get up at 9, so this is, uh, is going to be great. Um, this series we're starting today, I'll be honest with you, I have been waiting and looking forward and um, anticipating doing this for quite some time. Uh, as I've said before, when we started this church, there were two topics I couldn't wait to talk about, and uh, this is one of them. This is the first one. I can't wait. It might be a little bit, uh, a little bit sick, but I'm excited to talk about pain today. Um, I want to talk about it simply because of what we have walked through in my life um, thus far. And so let me give you a couple of heads up, a few things to know for today's service that might be a little different than normal. One is this. Um, we're going to go there. We're truly going to go there today. So what I want to ask of you is this. I literally want to ask you this. Would you start even now to prepare your heart for what God might actually speak to you today? Um, if you're, a, if you're a, especially even if you're a gentleman, I'd love to say this. We are going to go into the dark places, those difficult places. Oftentimes as men, we like to push off feelings, pain, things of that nature. I'm asking today that you would allow yourself to go there. Come with me as I go there. And then I just pray that you would allow God to speak to you in that place today. Because that's truly what we're going to do. It's going to be a difficult, difficult talk today. Um, I will tell you this, the other thing is I'm not going to wrap it up all pretty at the very end. It's not going to have a big uh, oversized Christianized bow at the end of this thing. There's two parts, and so to give you a reality, this is what it is. The first one, we're going to talk on the realities of pain, what we can expect, and how we, the fact that pain is, happens to everyone. And then the second one, next week, we're going to talk about how do we respond to that pain. So we're not going to actually talk about the response portion uh, this week. We're simply going to talk about the realities. And then the other piece is this, is I'm going to give you the warning that for the, probably the next two months, because of the two topics that we'll be talking about, I'm going to share uh, a lot about my daughter, Magnolia. I'm going to be talking about Maggie a little bit. And I'm letting you know that ahead of time, because I don't want to use that ever at a place of uh, emotional manipulation, anything of that nature. I mean, that's not my goal in this. The reason I share and want to talk about Maggie is because that was the most pivotal point in our life, the most pivotal period probably will be for the rest of my life, the, what we walk through with her. And so I want to share what God has taught us through that, but, um, but I want to introduce you to her first. Probably that's, if we're going to talk about pain, that's probably a hard thing. I was in a meeting a little while ago, and I was talking about Maggie, and then I realized who I was talking to, they had never met her before, and, uh, and they weren't too interested in what I had to say, and when I said something that was super deep to me, and I thought it was meaningful, I was waiting for their response, and then they just went on to the next thing, and that was a meeting we had here at this church, and I realized at this moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, uh, they don't know, it's, it's no connection to them whatsoever, but it's everything to me, and so I feel like that will be a painful part of this whole church process, is you may never get to fully know me completely, because you never got to know a major part of me. 
um, a handful of you have and walk through that, but most of you at this point, you're just jumping on this and never got a chance to meet my daughter. So as I talk about her for the next couple months, what I'd love to do is introduce you to her so you know that I'm not just talking about an idea, I'm talking about a real person, I'm talking about my little girl. And so if you would, I showed this video when, we, um, when I gave my testimony, but I'd love to show it again so that you can just see who I'm talking about. So this is my daughter, Magnolia. Hello, Jesus. You showed me to us and reached for um, the lab in my heart because I really love you. And my sister really loves you too. And my mom really loves you too. And my dad, amen. If you could tell the world anything, what would you tell them? I love you. Hi, mister. Um, we're talking about pain today, and I've known pain. I truly have. My daughters knew uh, when, when Maggie was still around, they knew that Daddy loved to fix things, so if anything broke around the house, Dad would fix it. And uh, they would bring me little toys, and even if they couldn't fix it, I would fake it and buy a new one and fix it. Because <laughs> I love that they thought that I could fix anything. And um, I remember when Maggie got her diagnosis, being a guy, being a guy who grew up in the country and loves to fix things, I realized that I could not fix that. When she got diagnosed with terminal, inoperable 
brain cancer, and uh, I couldn't fix it as much as I wanted to. I didn't have the ability to. I would have if I could. And that was hard. And I remember the next morning when we woke up. I remember the morning after we got the diagnosis, I woke up, and I, maybe you know that moment where you wake up, and it's kind of like a new day. And then all of a sudden, like literally two seconds after that, my stomach dropped. I remembered, oh, my gosh, this is not a dream. This is, uh, this is our new world. This is my, this is my life. It was very painful, very painful to wake up that next morning. We were playing cars. I remember playing cars on the landing outside of our room. I remember Davey was looking for me, couldn't find me, and I'm just playing with the girls and um, just cars on the ground. I just remember thinking and crying the whole time, and Maggie would ask me, "What's? are you okay? And I would just tell her I love her, you know, and uh, uh, I remember thinking, I can't do this. I, I, I don't have the ability to do this because it was very painful. Living with a diagnosis like that, knowing that your daughter has a death sentence, knowing that there's nothing that you can do about it is super difficult. I remember when um, Paisley came up to me. This was, this was tough. Paisley walked up to me, um, and I was sitting on the bed uh, doing emails or doing something like that, and she asked me. This was after diagnosis. She asked me a question. She asked um, about Maggie's bump in her brain and uh, Maggie's, or Paisley's, um, Maggie's older sister about two years, and she asked me about the bump and asked me what's going to happen to her. And um, I remember I was prepared for that answer. I had thought about it. I knew May Paisley would ask me at some point, and so I said, Jesus is going to take care of her. You know, and so apparently that didn't satisfy Paisley because she asked me again, well, what's going to happen to her? And so I thought maybe she didn't hear me, and so I said, well, Jesus is going to take care of her. God's going to take care of her. And I thought that would be it and would be good, but she asked me again, same question. And I thought, and I started to panic. I don't know, as a, like as a parent, you just start to panic. I'm like, what the heck? Why? Uh, you've got the answer, kid. This is it. God's <laughs> going to take care of her. She asked me a fourth time and then a fifth time. I don't know why she did that, but on the fifth time, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't hold up that strength, and I burst into tears. And I literally just called out for my wife. I just yelled, honey. And I couldn't answer her anymore. And Davey came in and helped me in the situation. But that's painful. I have known pain. When my daughter started to decline, the way that it goes down is it's, it's difficult. When you have DIPG, um, you start to lose motor functions. And so, for example, her mouth started to change. Then her eyes started to cross, followed by struggling with swallowing. But then it comes to the point where she can't walk anymore. She becomes paralyzed. Um, in one side of her body, and, and I remember at one point, this was literally one of the worst moments of my life, period, worst moments, is one morning I woke up, and I went into the girls' room, because I got excited every time to go see them, and I opened the door, and I hit something, and I realized, like, what the heck, there should be nothing in front of this door, and so I pushed open a little bit, and I come to find out that it was Maggie was laying at the door, because in the middle of the night, she got up out of bed, and she tried to make it to our room. And because her legs weren't working so good, she couldn't make it, and she couldn't get the door open. And so she spent the night alone, cold, on the floor, waiting for us, looking for us. And you would think that I would have been smart enough to have figured that out and then changed something, but I didn't. And so the next morning... No joke, I'm not making this up. I opened the door and I hit 
her again on the next morning. So two nights she spent on the floor. The next, that night, day, I put boards on her bed so she couldn't get out. So that wouldn't happen again. I nailed boards to her, to her, to her bed. But the idea of thinking her alone on the floor looking for us, I've, I've prayed many times, God, I know you were with her in those moments that you were with her on the floor when I couldn't be there for her. I've known pain. I truly have known pain. Saying goodbye was so hard. Telling a little three-and-a-half-year-old that you're going to go to heaven, you know, that's great. But telling her that she's not going with mom and dad, that's very difficult for her to be separated from us. And when she did pass away, as peaceful as it was, one of the things that was not so peaceful was the fact that um, I had to take her out to the hearse myself. There's this, there's this law in Washington that if the child dies in a home that is less than 18, the only way that the body can be removed from the house is in a body bag, and that was not going to happen in my house. And so having to pick my girl up, her body walk her down the stairs past all of our loved ones that were praying for us and take her out and lay her into a car. I have known pain. I have known pain. And what I want to do today is I want to talk about pain as someone who has walked through it. I specifically want to talk about the realities of pain. And the first thing you just need to know is this, is that pain is a promise. I did not realize that to the degree that I realize that now, but pain is a promise. What I'm saying by that is hurt happens. It's not just probable, it is inevitable. Jesus says, here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. Peter said, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, it's normal. And so if you haven't experienced great pain in your life, it just means it's around the corner at some point in time because it's not just an idea. We all experience it. And probably most of you are going, yeah, I've walked that road as well. I know exactly what you're talking about. Pain is a promise. The reason I know this, and it's not just me, and I got unlucky and drew a real bad card, is because I read the cards last week for prayer requests. I'm going to read you some of them. You just need to know these are not all. This is just a handful of what was handed into us last week of our small little church. Here's what it was. Prayers for this. Please pray for my finances to make ends meet. For severe anxiety. For stress levels. For the relationship between my mom and I, it has been rocky. For my husband to fall in love with Jesus and healing in our marriage. For my mom who has terminal ovarian cancer. For finding, a house that we, um, for finding a house we can afford. For my fiancé, who's dealing with a lot of stress. For my sister-in-law, suffering from both cancer and depression. For enough money to make rent. For my friend and his anxiety to find a new job. For my son, who is an addict. For unity in our family. For my new granddaughter, who's not gaining weight like she should. For my siblings who do not know Jesus, please pray for me. I'm struggling with my marriage. Pray because I'm struggling with depression, job changes, an eating disorder, mental illness, children who are far from God, going through chemo, addictions for my son, my husband, and myself. That was literally just last week. And those are the ch people who chose to write down for a card. And not even all of them. Those are just a handful of the prayer requests that we received last week. Pain 
is a promise. Pain is a promise. Second thing I know about pain is this, is that some pain is permanent. Whoever said time heals all wounds had no idea what they were talking about. Truly, no clue. They're an idiot. Whoever said that, no clue whatsoever. Because time does not heal all wounds. Maybe if you put it in light of eternity, it does heal all wounds if you know Jesus. But time does not heal all wounds on this planet. And a perfect example of that is Job in the Bible. Job is often referred to when people talk about pain. And they talk about what he went through. And it's often used as a redemption story. Right? Have you ever seen that? It's used as a redemption story. This man who was tested by God, him, Satan and God had this deal. They used this guy. They were having this conversation, and they tested Job. And Job was faithful. He, he lost his house. He lost his property. He lost his wealth. He lost his reputation. He even lost his health. He lost his kids. He lost everything. He didn't lose his wife, which is very interesting. I mean, I don't know what that says about his wife. That, um, <laughs> but his wife got to stick with him through it all. Um, but very interesting. But oftentimes that's used for a, a redemption story because at the end of the story, he gets twice the wealth. He gets twice the, um, you know, his reputation goes bigger, twice the land. Um, but the interesting thing is, is if you really read that, he did not get his kids back. Did you catch that? Have you ever catch that in that story? Yes, he had more kids, but he could never replace the kids that he lost. Therefore, I can tell you firsthand knowledge that that man lived the rest of his life with pain. He lived the rest of his life with pain. I've said this before, but grief is an amputation. It is an amputation. What I mean by that is it's something you don't just heal from. It's something you just don't get over. You don't say to someone who's in a wheelchair, hey, you know what? I'm sorry you lost your leg. That's a bummer, but it'll heal back in time. And you don't say that to someone First off, it would be really rude, and the reason it's rude is because it's not true. It's not going to grow back in time, and it's not going to just be all okay. They have to adjust to life in a wheelchair, and it's the same thing when you lose someone who is super significant to you. You need to adjust from not having your whole heart present with you. And so you adjust in this lifetime. Some pain is permanent. Pain is a promise. Some pain is permanent, but most pain is masked. We don't see it. I'm not sure why, but for some reason, we just don't want to let people know the pain that we're going through. We like to hide it. Like we put on masks, play Halloween. We like to dress up, and we don't want to show people. And so we conceal what's really going on inside of us. We truly do. Laurel, Laurel Hamilton, an American writer, said this, says, There are wounds that never show on the body but are far deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. Most pain is masked. This, this came out through the process of, uh, of us walking with Maggie because everyone knew we were in pain. It was very public for us. It was very public for us. It didn't, we didn't want it to be. We weren't planning for it to be. But I was at a church where a lot of people knew I was on stage. So, so when this happened, it became very public on our page. And, and, and so people saw it. And so people felt like, oh, my gosh, they're in pain. So I can share my pain with them. And I'm going to share my pain with them. And so I realized, oh, my gosh, everybody is walking through something. This really came forward. And I realized this when I was at the mall with Maggie one Sunday. One Sunday after church, I remember going to the mall. It was just me and her, and we went to the little play area. And we sat there for a little bit, and I was on the side with all the moms, you know, hanging out. 
and, and I watched Maggie playing with all these kids, and I started to get really upset just internally. I was just wrestling with, dude, all these other moms, they get to watch their kid grow up. They get to watch their kid, and they're, they're fine. They all look fine. They're fine. They're fine. And she's fine. Everyone's fine. But my, my daughter is not going to make it, and I'm not fine. I'm not okay right now. And then what happened was very interesting was another girl from a store literally came out. It made a huge scene. This, this lady comes out, and she's crying very loud, and people were following her in a rushed fashion out of the store. And then she just happened to be just a little ways from me, and she's just sobbing, and she's crying. And I'm thinking to myself, I can't hear what's going on, but I know what she's struggling with because she doesn't have any hair. And you could tell that she was going through chemo, and you could tell that she was upset, and they're trying to can comfort her and, and whatnot. And I remember her thinking through her eyes, she's probably looking at everybody else that's sitting around here. And she's probably going, I would trade my life, I would trade any of you for what I have going on. I want what you have. But what she didn't know is that I would have traded her for my situation. In a drop of a hat, I would have rather it have been me. And I was jealous of her situation, but she had no idea. And it was in that moment that I realized we are all hiding pain. We all have it. And we just hide it. And we, I don't know why we do. We conceal it. I, my hope is that we would start to become honest with the pain that we all carry. It is like one of the main things that we all have in common that brings us together is pain. Right? It's pain. It's absolutely pain. The truth is it's okay to not be okay. It is okay to not feel okay. Pain is a promise. Some pain is permanent. Most pain is mask, but here's the last one. All pain hurts. All pain hurts. And some of you guys are like, well, Jake, that's pretty obvious. I, I get that. You know, I, I understand that one. But I can't tell you how many times I heard the phrase, this phrase, my wife and I, she would attest to this, how many times we heard the phrase, I could never imagine what you guys are walking through. I could never imagine what you guys are walking through. I must have heard that a zillion times. And the truth is, you can't. You can't imagine what we walk through, right? We have, now we have one of those sad stories that trump all sad stories. And even my counselor said, don't share it all the time, right? He's like, once you say it, all the conversation shuts down. And so we have that. But you know what? I don't know what you're going through. I can't imagine what you're walking through. To a junior high gal, right? who broke up with her boyfriend, and her world is over and devastated, and she's consumed by it. She is in full-fledged pain, and that hurts. To a man who is unemployed and has done everything that he can possibly think of to do to find a job because he wants to provide for his family. He knows he won't, should provide for his family, so he tries and he tries, and he can't do it. That hurts. Pain hurts. To a woman who's experienced divorce, or maybe even you're, in the, you're still married and, and you're living in the same house and it feels like you're living with a stranger. That's painful. Painful to a parent who has a prodigal child who has walked away from Jesus and alienated herself from the family. That is painful. All pain hurts. My hope is this, is that we would stop comparing pain and start caring for pain. You know, stop comparing, oh, mine is worse than yours, yours is worse than mine. And we would start to actually care. And just, maybe we just go with the mindset, you know what, everybody's in pain, everyone's concealing it, and it hurts. So let's let that be our de facto. Let's start at that place. 
instead of just assuming everybody else is okay because they look okay. The truth is not everybody is okay. There are different types of pain. Different types of pain. One is what I would call fall-inflicted pain. And that basically is all, uh, all pain comes as a result of sin and from the fall, but it's from a broken world. This is what the situation with Maggie, I didn't do anything, she didn't do anything, nobody did anything. It wasn't a result of action. It was just because, and just because of sin being in the world, and God allowed that sin to be in the world, and he allowed that to happen to Maggie. And so it was fall inflicted. Sometimes it's nobody's fault, but it's just painful. Another type of pain is self-inflicted pain. Self-inflicted pain. This one, this has got to be hard. This is really hard. I mean, I've never dealt with this one. So talk about when I'm saying I don't understand everyone else's pain. You don't understand my pain. I don't understand your pain. This one right here, self-inflicted pain. I've done some stupid things, but nothing where I carry this huge weight of shame and guilt. Because when we do something and we do something wrong in that sense, and our world falls apart, and it's our fault. And we know it's our fault. It comes with a huge level of guilt and a huge level of shame. Here's one thing to know, because I'm not going to try to tie everything up, but this is one thing that you just need to know. If that's you and you're experiencing self-inflicted pain, understand guilt comes from Satan, always. Conviction comes from God. Here's how you tell the difference. Guilt means you're looking backwards, right? You're looking backwards. I did this, and there's nothing else I can do about it. Conviction is different. It means it's in front of you, and you can do something about it. That's from God saying, get off this path, or it's going to hurt worse. So the difference of that is, is conviction comes from God. Guilt comes from Satan. But guilt is always looking backwards, and there's nothing you can do about it. And Satan wants to do nothing more than to push that in and just turn that knife and, and, and push on that wound. And the truth is we have to let that go because guilt comes from Satan. It doesn't come from God. Another type of pain is others inflicted. Others inflicted. This one is really hard. And I don't know, maybe you're in this room and maybe somebody hurt you in a way that you can never take it back and it was their fault and it was completely their fault. You did nothing wrong. I want you to hear that today. Hurt people, hurt people, right? Hurt people, hurt people, and it is not your fault. And so don't carry the, the same level of guilt and shame. And it's got to be a struggle because you have to fight to forgive that person, right? In order to have full healing in your world, you have to fight to forgive someone who wronged you in a way and did something to you, and it wasn't your fault. But yet you are experiencing a life of pain because of their actions, very hard. Very hard. All pain hurts. All pain hurts. And so here's what typically happens. Here's what will typically happen in our pain process. What will happen is when we suffer, we want it to stop. When we hurt, we want help. When we're in pain, most people pray. Even non-Christians pray when they're in pain. I don't believe that there's a God, but I'm going to give it a shot because i got to have this thing stop. It hurts too much, so I'm going to pray. And we will typically pray where we're asking God, help me. Please help me. I need you to help me in this situation. And we ask God, would you please take this situation away? And you know what's amazing? Sometimes God does take those situations away. And he changes your circumstances sometimes in the exact way that you ask him to take those circumstances away. 
But most times, he does not. Most times, he does not answer your prayer in the way that you want it to be answered. And in fact, because he doesn't, what we assume is he can't hear us. We, we ask questions like, are you there? Can you hear me? Am I speaking to the ceiling? And if I am speaking to the ceiling, and you act, or actually, if you do hear me, do you even care? And so what happens from there is after that, we move into a place of doubt, and we wonder, okay, if, if you can hear me and you don't care, I mean, are you even there? Are you even real? And doubt starts to seep its way into our world and into our relationship with Christ. Did I doubt when I walked through what we walked through with Maggie? Absolutely. I am a pastor, but I am human. And I absolutely doubted because you know what? It never mattered more than, than it ever mattered in my lifetime. And I got it obviously at the same time proved himself to be true more than ever and throughout that situation. But did I doubt? I'm telling you right now, yes, I am a pastor and I doubted 100% for a period of time. I still took steps forward, but in my head I'm asking myself, oh man, this is, I, this, I hope... God, this has got to be real. You've got to be answering me on this. Because I prayed a lot. God, please heal her. Please heal her. Please heal her. And I didn't hear anything. And so when I'm struggling, what I typically do is I typically ask the question, has this ever happened to anybody else in God's word? Is there any place I can go in the Bible and see if this experience, this level of pain, this level of doubt has happened to anyone else in the Bible? And oftentimes when people teach on pain, they talk about Job, they talk about David, who's the psalmist who cries out to God. There's Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Um, But today what I want to do is I want to talk about a guy who's not usually talked about when it comes to the topic of pain, and it's John the baptizer. I want to spend the rest of our time, I want to spend the time that we have left, and I want to talk about John the Baptizer. Now, he's he's often referred to as John the Baptist. That is his nickname. It's not because he is Baptist, but because he actually baptized people, right? And so that's what he did. So he got the name John the Baptist. And I want to look at John's pain. I want to look at John's doubt. I want to look at John's struggle. And it starts right here. It starts with Jesus teaching in Galilee. And actually, just so you know, it's all throughout Matthew 4, 11, and 14. You'll find these stories. And because it's not in one section, I'm going to have to pop around to be able to go and to get this information. But it really starts with uh, Jesus teaching in Galilee. And what was happening at that moment is he was teaching and then some of John's disciples. So Jesus had disciples, but John was a prophet, and therefore he had disciples who followed him as well. And so John's disciples come up to Jesus, and they have a question for him. They have a question for him from John. So John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask him this question. Are you the one that is sent by God or should we expect another? Are you the one who is sent by God or should we expect another? He was asking, are you the Messiah? Are you the Christ? Are you the promised one from Israel? And you just need to know, guys, this is our question. This is our question. We have the same question when we're in pain. As we ask the question, God, are you the one? Can you help me? Or should I look somewhere else? Can you help me? Or can I look somewhere else? Can I trust you? Should I look somewhere else? Now, for those of you who grew up in church, can you tell me why John did not ask this question himself? Anybody know? He's in jail. 
He is in prison at this time. That is why he sent his disciples. Now, John was not in prison because of something that he did wrong. In fact, he was in prison for something that he did right. He was calling people to repent and turn to God. It was a good thing. But he was using the royal family as an example at that time. And the sin that they were living in, it was really a full-fledged Jerry Springer drama. And I'm not going to explain it to you. Um, I mean, we can go into detail, but it's not worth it. Between Herod and Antipas, Herod Philip, and Herodias. Herodias did not like John, did not like what was going on. So she had him in prison through her husband. And she was married to both of those men at one time. But anyway, he's thrown in prison because he's sharing this sin that this royal family is living, and he's not just put in any prison. He's put in a prison in Machaerus, which is in the eastern part of of the kingdom. And so John is in jail, and he is in jail, and time passes, right? And doubt begins to come up, and John begins to question. Now, remember who John is. Catch this. John was the guy who prepared the way for Jesus, He was the prophet that came before Jesus. He was the one who announced them that, hey, this is the Christ. He said to everyone who was listening, don't follow me anymore. Follow that guy. Follow that guy. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. I must decrease so that this man must increase. John was sure about who Jesus was. But time went by, and all of a sudden, John's not so sure anymore. Doubt. Has stopped in. And so that's what Jesus or John thought about Jesus when he began. But on the other hand, what did Jesus think about John? Here's what you need to know Jesus loved John. He loved John. In fact, the Bible tells us that they're related. Oftentimes they're said that they are cousins, but we don't know that for sure. Um, because the King James Version, it's just the way that it's interpreted. We just know that they're related in some shape or form. But here's what Jesus says about John. Catch this. This is amazing. I would love that Jesus would say this about me. This would be amazing. Here's what he says. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, so that's like everybody, (laughs) among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus thinks that John the Baptist is the greatest person on the planet. The greatest person, better than his mom? Yep. Better than his dad? Yep. Better than anyone he's ever met? Yes. John the Baptist to Jesus is the greatest person on the planet. So let's look at Matthew chapter 4. Here's what it says. It says, when Jesus heard that John, remember his, his relative, the greatest person on the planet, had been put in prison, what do you think Jesus did? Did he go visit him? Did he uh, send him a card, bake him a cake, send him a care package? I mean, this is Jesus. He literally could go and break him out of jail if he wanted to. He could go take care of him in that situation. So what did Jesus do when he found out that the man that he loved with all his heart, the greatest man on the planet, what did he do? Here's what it says. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Did you catch that? He withdrew, leaving Nazareth. He went and lived in Capernaum. Now, to truly understand the weight of this passage, you have to read it with a map. So let me show you what I'm talking about. This is Israel back at time, a very simplified map. Jesus is in Nazareth. He's teaching in Nazareth. 
And what you have is you have John who's been thrown in jail in Machaerus down there at the bottom. John used to walk up that strip of the Jordan River, and that's where he did his ministry. That's where his ministry happened. And when he was taken and thrown in jail, he was thrown in jail in Machaerus. So you would think that Jesus would go down to Machaerus, that he would head down there. He's going, you know, this is the greatest man in the world. He loves him. He's related to him. He should bake him a cake, send him a card, do something. But Jesus instead went to Capernaum. He went to Capernaum, and this is how we feel, isn't it? When we're in pain, when we're in prison, when we're in Macaris, when things are the worst that they could possibly be, sometimes we feel like Jesus goes the opposite direction of where we're at. He heads the opposite place. You know, let me give you a little bit more. If you can see here, this right here is a picture. If you can go to Israel, you can actually go visit. This is Machaerus. This is the hilltop in which King Herod's palace was on. John would have been present right there. His jail cell would have been there. If he had a window, which he probably wouldn't have had, he probably could have seen out. There's the river right over there, right there. That would have been what John would have saw. No air conditioning, nothing like that. That was John's view. Let me show you what the view was from Capernaum, okay? So not only did Jesus go the opposite direction, Jesus is at the beach. He's in a cabana somewhere, sipping Mai Tais or something is going on. Jesus is, went the opposite direction and literally went to the beach when the man he loves, the greatest person that he knows on this planet is in jail and is in need of help. What does he do? He withdraws. This is how we feel. This is how we feel. I tell you this for this reason, that if you're in Macaris, if you're in pain, and that is your world, Jesus can love you even then, even if he doesn't, answer, he doesn't feel like he hears you. Does that make sense? That Jesus can know your name and he's not going to love you any less. And you call out to him and he may not come down, but he still loves you even when you're in the pain that you're at. Now we'll talk about why he didn't do anything about it. So here's what happened. John, after a year and a half, just so that you know, John was in jail for a year and a half. He had finally had enough. Doubt has started to sneak in. And so his friends, his disciples, um, just so that you know, when you're in jail back in that day, you didn't get p fed food. The reason that you survived is that people would have to bring you food. Otherwise, you would starve to death in prison. And so you had to have friends to bring you food. So his disciples, his friends would bring him food. But in bringing him food, they also brought rumors. They also brought rumors of these great things that were happening, right? These great things, these miracles that were taking place through Jesus. And John wanted to know, is that true? So he sends these guys out to Jesus. They find Jesus. They tell him, hey, Jesus, <laughs> wow, I did not know you were going to be on the beach. But this is amazing. John is struggling. We're not going to tell him anything about this, all right? But, but, but he is starting to have doubts. And he sent me to ask you, are you the one? Are you the one? And here's Jesus' response. He says, go back to Machaerus and report to John, who is still in jail, what you hear and see. I want you to tell him that the blind, they receive sight. The lame, they walk. Those who have leprosy, they are cleansed. The deaf, they hear. The dead, they are raised back to life. And the good news, which is him, 
which is literally him, he is the good news, is proclaimed to the poor. What Jesus is basically saying is he's saying, go back and tell John, yes. Yes, tell John that you were right. I am the one. I am the Christ. Go tell John that I am the light of the world. Go tell John about all the miracles. Go tell John about all the healings. Go tell John about all the great things that are happening to everybody else. Everybody else. And that is our life. That is our life. Again, the reason I tell you this is because when you're hanging out in Macaris, when you're in the desert, when you're trapped in prison and you're in pain, Jesus can still love you. How do I know that? He loved John. He loved John. So let me tell you what happens next. Right after this, John's disciples leave and they head on out. And Jesus says one of the most powerful statements, most powerful, powerful, powerful statements that are in Scripture. He says this. He says, blessed is anyone, that includes everyone who's in pain, who does not stumble or fall away or lose heart or lose faith on account of me. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, blessed is the man who sticks by me even when they, when, even when they don't get what they asked for, even when they don't think that I'm answering their prayers or even when they don't change, I don't change their circumstances. Blessed is the woman who trusts me who believes in me, who follows me in spite of me. Blessed is the one who does not stumble even when it seems like I'm not acting on their behalf. Here's what it is. This is so important. Please hear this. God's silence does not equate to his absence. God's silence does not equate to his absence. If you've been praying and you've been wondering, God, can you hear me? That does not mean that he is not there, and it does not mean that he does not hear you. And it does not mean that he does not care. God hears you. God knows your pain. God grieves with you. So here's the natural question. If God hears me, if that is true, then why doesn't he help? Why doesn't he help? Why doesn't he step in? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't God do something? Here's the short answer. He did. He did. Think about this. What was John, what was Jesus doing while John was in jail? What was he doing? It was right when he started his ministry. What does his ministry culminate to? Freeing the slaves for eternity. Healing people for eternity, right? He was about saving John even when John didn't realize he was about saving him. He was saving him from more than John knew he was imprisoned for. John never left that prison. I don't know if you know that. John died in that prison. He was beheaded. But you know what's crazy? John's not, that, not in that prison anymore. He is not in that prison anymore. When people ask me, and I get asked a lot this as a pastor, why would God allow pain in this world? Why would God allow Maggie to suffer and die? Now it's personal. 
And there's obviously and oftentimes an uh, underlining question under that. What people are asking when they ask that question is, is God good? That's what they're asking. Is God good? Because if he can hear me and he is real and he does nothing, he can't be good. But they're asking, is God good? I answer that question with yes. I am standing up here and I'm telling you yes. And how do I know that? How do I know that God is good? Because he gave his son. I understand that now. I never understood that before. To the weight on which I understand it. We lost our daughter. I didn't give her up. I never gave up. I don't know if I ever could give up. And so if somebody loves to that level where they would give up their child for us and for to save us, to save humanity, that's love. And you cannot tell me that God is not good if he does that. It doesn't seem personal. It seems very personal to me. God gave up his son. He did something. He loves us. Why would God allow Maggie to die? So she could live. Pain is a reality, but it doesn't last for eternity. Pain is a reality, but it does not last for eternity. There's a big if there. If we do not stumble on account of him. If we do not stumble on account of him. Friends, this life, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's painful. It's so painful. It affects every one of us. Some of you are sitting here and you are full of pain. And it is killing you. And you don't know how you're going to make it the next day. This life is painful. I'm not going to pretend that it's not going to be. Following Jesus does not mean that all your pain goes away. Some reason pastors have stood on this stage and they have said that before. And they have told you that. That's not true. It does help in the process to know that the hope is on the horizon. What's crazy is when we walked through this process with my, with my daughter, my wife and I would say in some crazy ways we had peace in the midst of it. In fact, I, I didn't have this in my notes, but on the day that she was diagnosed, you know, it was something that was so crazy. God prepared us for this. He, my wife got in the car, and we're on our way home. This was the same conversation that we had when we talked about whether or not we're going to trust him or not trust him through this. But she literally said, for some reason, I knew this was going to happen. I knew something like this was going to happen. And when she said that, my stomach sunk. And here's why, because I thought the same thing. I think it was beyond just a parent thinking, oh, something's going to happen to my kid. Because there was years ago, you're going to, I can't, I'm, this should stick to my notes next time. But I realized this. I knew something was going to happen like this when I was watching Lord of the Rings. Remember, I should stick to, <laughs> stick to my notes. I was watching Return of the King, the extended edition, because it's only in the extended edition. And there's a scene where a dad is standing outside of a grave, and he says this phrase. He says, no parent should ever have to bury their child. And when that scene came on, and I saw it for the very first time, I remember thinking, oh, crap, that's me. That's me. And it stuck with me. I mean, I've watched a zillion movies, probably watched Lord of the Rings way too many times than I should. But I watched a zillion movies, and nothing stuck with me like this. And so when my wife was like, hey, I kind of knew this was going to happen. I kind of had this thought. I did too. So God prepared us even before we knew we were going to be preparing for that. Even family members who are friends who are sitting over there had family members lose a child, and they were able to come and 
help us and come alongside us in ways that never would expect. God was with us in the process. And so there will be pain in this life. You will experience hurt. It is, it does not get wiped away here at this time. And the reason, it's okay to not be okay in the meantime. It is. And the reason it's okay is because it's not the end. You know, it is not the end. And so here's what I want to do. We're leaving and I'm not fixing anything. I'm literally just telling you, God hears you and he's good. That's all I'm telling you today. God hears you and he's good and he is good and he loves you and he's done something about it. And so what we're going to do is we're going to leave it there. And next week, I want to talk about how we respond to this pain. How do we respond to it? Not just the realities of it. I want to talk about how we respond to it for ourselves and for helping others. Because I can tell you there were some right ways and wrong ways that people came around and helped us. I would love to tell you the right ways. But in the meantime, here's what I want you to do. I literally am going to give you homework. This is what I'd like you to go home and do so that you are prepared for when we walk to next week. I would like you to pinpoint your pain. I'd like you to spend time thinking of it. Some of you, as I've been going through this, you know exactly what it was, that moment that it hurt, the moment and what you're hurting from. You know what happened, how it, what, what brought it about, and you know that pain instantly. But some of you, you have to spend time thinking about this. What is the root reason? Now, here's why I'm asking you to do that. Because when you go to a doctor and you are injured or you have pain or you're hurt and you need to go see the doctor, what is it they ask you in the emergency room or what do they ask you? They ask you, where does it hurt? Where does it hurt? And the reason they ask you that is so that the doctor knows what to do. Now, Jesus knows exactly what to do, but he wants to help walk us through this process. And so what I'm asking you to do is to pinpoint your pain so that when we come back next week, we can talk about what do we do with that. Okay? So here's what's going to happen. We're going to respond in worship. I'm going to pray in just a second. We're going to respond in worship, and you have two ways in which you can respond. You can stand up, and you can sing, and you can... Thank this good God that we had that he did something about the pain that we carry. And also, if you are really need some help, we have people on the sides that we're going to put on there. We moved the chairs in so that we would have room for people to be able to pray. So if you're struggling and you're carrying a weight and you want someone to pray with you because hear me, God hears you. And you want someone to help, someone to help you take that to Christ on your behalf, on, then truly you can pray on the sides during the midst of worship. Okay? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll go from there. We can respond in worship, and we can respond in prayer. And I would invite you, don't be shy. If you're in pain, go talk to someone. It makes a huge, huge difference. Let's pray.